0: Hi, my name is Edward, and welcome to today's episode of the PyTorch Dev Podcast. Today I want to talk a little bit about someone's, or perhaps some anyone who is a software architect's favorite subject, the library structure in PyTorch. Now, what do I mean by the library structure in PyTorch? Isn't PyTorch just one library that everyone uses? Well, that's true in one sense, in that you know, we distribute a single PyTorch wheel that people use and think of as one unit, but internally in our library, PyTorch is actually split into multiple separate dynamic libraries, at least in open source. But this is also true inside our internal build system. It's split into multiple different libraries, you know, ranging from C10, A10 Core, A10, Torch, Torch Python. And, you know, each of these libraries is, you know, a proper unit of encapsulation and means that you can't, for example, willy nilly depend on something from Torch Python from C10. If you're not very familiar with you know, what uh, people are using these libraries for, you might think that this is just a whole waste of time, right? Like You try to write some code, you put it in some folder, and then you have to decide which folder you want to put it in, and then it turns out you put it in the wrong folder and you've got to like move some stuff around to make everything work out. It, it can really feel like a waste of time for no good reason. And some of the library structure in PyTorch is vestigial, and, you know, really shouldn't be there, and we should, you know, reconsider how it's actually set up. But a lot of the libraries in PyTorch exist for some good reasons. And in today's podcast, I want to explain what the reasons behind the library split in PyTorch are, and hopefully that will help you also think about how to better structure your code so that you don't accidentally, you know, violate one of these abstraction boundaries. So... Principle one that I would say about dynamic library structuring in general, like just how you decide to set up libraries, is that for any major dependency you might have, um, it's usually a good idea to give it a separate library. So a good example of this is CUDA. CUDA is a really honking big dependency, right? Like you've got to actually have Nvidia's CUDA runtime libraries. And then there's, you know, actually a whole bunch of code in PyTorch that only really makes sense when you're running on a system that has a GPU. We offer CPU only builds of PyTorch, which don't have any CUDA bits for people who don't have GPUs. And the point of this is that, you know, many people don't want CUDA and so there should be a way to use PyTorch without having to actually drag in all CUDA. And if you had PyTorch as one single giant library in the situation, that wouldn't work. You you know, have to always get in the CUDA dependency. Um, well, you might say, hey, Edward, you know, isn't the normal thing in open source to give you a bunch of configure flags and you just ask for which features you want? And the answer is yes, that's true. Like, um, if you've ever built Python for ex- from source, for example, there's a whole bunch of flags you can toggle on and off. But I um, if you're actually working in, say, a Linux distribution, or you're working inside FB code, um, typically it's frowned upon to recompile the same piece of software multiple times with different flag settings because, well, you know, how are you going to distinguish between all these different versions? So. When you're in a situation where you can only ever build some piece of code once, well, you had better not, you know, uh, find you'd better find some other way besides if defing to split things out. And so, in PyTorch, we have a A10 CPU uh, library that has all of our CPU kernels, and we have an A10 CUDA library that contains all of our CUDA kernels. And so if you're say in Buck and you want to depend on a library, um, but you don't want any of the CUDA functionality, there is actually a dependency you can depend on, the CPU only dependency that will prevent you from bringing in all your CUDA code. So if you look at um, another really important library, Torch Python, this one is also split off from Lib Torch. And why is it split off? Well, because Lib Torch Python has a dependency on the C Python API. And there's plenty of situations when you are you know, doing a C++ only application and you don't actually want to have the dependency on Python. So that's principle one. Whenever there is a major dependency, there is probably a library split lurking nearby. Principle two is sort of related, but um, more of an internal concern, which is that you want to split so that you can use what you need. So what do I mean by that? Well, um, in many situations, um, binary size is at a premium and uh, you don't want to actually ship code that you don't actually use. Um, So, you know, honestly, principle one is sort of the extreme version of this where the, you know, thing you're not using is a giant, um, you know, honking blob of code that is from someone else. But, you know, PyTorch is also big in and of itself. And we don't want to necessarily use code in PyTorch um, if, you know, we don't need it. We don't want to actually put things in if you don't need it. And so similarly, uh, um, parts of PyTorch are split in this way so that we can actually distribute these things without all of the functionality in question. So one good example of this in um, PyTorch is the split between A10 core and A10. Although this split is a little historical because mobile is deciding to ship more and more stuff. In the beginning of the project, um there was only a very limited subset of functionality that needed to be shipped on mobile, and so when you know we when we wanted to actually put Pytorch into uh production, we wanted to actually merge the cafe two and Pytorch code bases, we needed to find a way to like put in the code that we wanted on mobile in one place and all the code that you know wasn't relevant to mobile in some other place. And that's why A10 is split into A10 core and A10. A10 core is the stuff that's relevant for mobile and A10 is everything else that you, know, you might not be so interested in. I say this split is a little historical because um, as time has gone on and mobile has gotten more and more features, it turns out that A10 does uh, provide a bunch of stuff that mobile wants. But in the beginning, it didn't and A10 core is this sort of minimal version that um, is generally applicable and takes up less binary space than all of A10. Another good example of this is the torch and A10 split. So A10 um, is short for a tensor library and originally it was conceived of as just a way to do PyTorch code. uh, Like you you wanna do an add, okay, A10 will tell you how to add two tensors together. Whereas torch, is the uh, the library that actually gives you all of the sort of neural network functionality. So it knows how to do automatic differentiation, it knows about NN modules, all that good stuff. And so once again, if you're in a situation where you don't actually care about doing AD, you don't care about doing neural networks, you just need a way to do some tensor computations. Well, the split between A10 and Torch means that you can just use A10 in that situation. So that's principle two, which is split on what you need, a more, you know sort of internal version of split uh, on dependencies. And principle three is kind of a cop-out, but it's really important, which is we split our libraries for technical reasons. That is to say, sometimes there is no way to actually ship Pytorch unless we actually have things split in some particular way. Let me explain one particular example. So a very um, sort of rite of passage for any new developer on PyTorch is uh, writing a new function and forgetting to slap a torch underscore API macro on it. You'll get a very obscure linker error saying, hey, you know, I have no idea what this symbol is, even though, you know, like it compiled fine and the symbol is there. What the heck's going on? So why does this macro exist in the first place? Well, this macro exists because of something very interesting. So I, I, I have to take a brief detour to explain. So when we write dynamic libraries, we have to specify what symbols we actually expose as opposed to private symbols, which aren't available uh, to external users. And that kind of makes sense. And uh, if you're writing a you know, standard Linux library, you usually just expose everything. Like you don't really care about um, uh, very much hygiene in this case. But um, on Windows, there's actually a problem, which is the Windows DLL format only allows for about 65,000 exported public symbols. Now, 65,000 would be a lot of cookies to eat, but as far as symbols go, it's nothing. And a any, you know, self-respecting project is going to quickly hit this limit. So, on Windows, because of this limitation, people tend to be a lot more careful about what actual symbols they put in their libraries. So you have to actually say, you know, what symbols you want. And if you, you know, if there's a symbol that you don't want, um, you just don't make it public. So on windows, we have hidden visibility by default and you must explicitly export a symbol you want to. And guess what macro does that? Well, that's the torch API macro. Okay. That's cool. But what does that mean? Well, Remember, the symbol limit still applies. Just using the Torch API macro doesn't mean that, you know, you're not continuously adding more and more symbols. And it turns out that the consolidated PyTorch A10 and A10 CUDA libraries goes over the Windows symbol limit if you put them together. So no, we cannot ship PyTorch unless these libraries are separate so that we are under the public symbol limit. Another example of a technical reason requiring us to actually keep the library split is for mobile. So mobile, uh, mobile started off, you know, just having a small dependency on A10, but um, eventually they actually needed operators. Um, but there's a problem, right? Which is that A10 has a ton of operators, and mobile doesn't really want most of them. Like there's only a few operators that are actually used by models in practice, and they'd much rather prefer to only ship those operators. So mobile has some very complicated system for recompiling PyTorch so that, you know, only the operators they care about are compiled for any given library. Okay, that's cool. Do I, what do I recompile in this case? Well, library split comes to rescue. Because we have all of our CPU kernels in a separate library, CPU. that's the only library that needs to get recompiled on a per app basis for mobile. A10 itself, which just contains, you know, common code that's used everywhere, um, doesn't need to get recompiled in this situation. So, you know, having the library split in this way made it easier for mobile to do selective build. And if you ever propose merging these things together, well, you'd better have an answer for what you're going to do on the mobile side. So what are the principles behind PyTorch's library split? Well, you know, whenever there's a major dependency, that usually means there's going to be a library split. Um, we split because that lets us, you know, let people use code that, um, you know, use what you need. All, you know, we don't, we don't go to the, you know, extreme with this because it's very hard to deal with lots and lots of itty-bitty libraries. But like for major um, partitions of functionality, there will be a library split usually in that situation. And finally, there are a bunch of weird-ass technical reasons like, you know, Windows and mobile that also require us to split things in this way. Okay. So that's why we have so many libraries in PyTorch. Some of the libraries probably can get merged together, like A10 core and A10 probably can be merged together. C10 probably could be moved into A10, except there's this funny business with our AMD Rock'em support where hippification works differently in one case or another. Yeah, it's complicated. There's a lot of things that sort of have accreted over time. But you know, usually if you're running into a library problem, the best fix is not to actually like rage against the library structure in PyTorch, it's just to do a few simple things to you know sort of unblock yourself. So what are those things? So one thing you can always do is sometimes some code is put in the wrong place and so you just need to put the code in the right place, right? Just move a file around. Yeah, I know it's annoying. Um, you can always put a little stub in the old location so that you don't have to update all the includes. But, you know, oftentimes just moving a file to the appropriate place because, you know, whoever put it there originally didn't think too hard about it. That often will solve a problem you have. Of course, sometimes you do need to break layering, right? Like sometimes you need to be able to call into some code in, say, Torch when you're inside ten and there no amount of moving files around will save you. And so there's another trick that's, you know, sort of used very commonly in the code base, namely making a virtual interface and uh, that you can call into the, you know, higher level library layer um, from a lower level library layer. So one really good example of this is Device Guard. Device Guard works by um, having a Device Guard interface um, for every implementation of the Device Guard. And so if you're in a situation where you don't necessarily know if you have access, direct access to the library in question, you can use Device Guard and it will do a virtual jump to the actual implementation, which might be CUDA, to actually get the functionality that you want. Of course, if you're actually in the CUDA library, you don't have to do this virtual jump. And so there's actually a specialized version of Device Guard called CUDA Guard, which lets you do exactly this when you don't need to violate the layering. So that's all I wanted to say about library structure today. Thanks for listening. See you next time.